It was May 12, 2015. And Brandon Boston was listening to, to things on the radio. Not the AM, FM stations, but the radio in his train. He was an engineer. And it seemed that there were some people, probably kids, throwing rocks at trains. And the messages were coming in from other people. Hey, I, there's people throwing rocks at the train here, and there's people throwing rocks at the train here. And he just kept listening, and he was kind of communicating back and forth with the people that were uh, there trying to find out where this was happening and if it was going to be in front of him. And he was, he was outside Philadelphia. And um, it's unclear exactly why, but he sped up. By the time they tracked his actual speed, he was going 106 miles an hour. Would have been fine on a, a straight stretch of the track, but he came to a corner that was marked for 50 miles per hour. I don't know if you remember May 12th, uh, 2015, but that corner couldn't take that speed, and the train went off the tracks, derailed. And as the train went off the tracks, there were eight people who were killed and 200 others, more than 200 others injured. And when they did the investigation, it took almost a year. <coughs> the response, the, the, uh, the report said the engineer was distracted by the things that he was hearing on his radio. And in that distraction, wasn't prepared for the curve that was coming up ahead. I want to talk a little bit about distraction this morning. I think that most people who make a commitment to follow Jesus and who sign on the dotted line to be a disciple, to be a follower, to be somebody committed to walking with him day after day, most people don't flee from that. Most people don't jump out of that. Most people don't tear up the contract. Most of us get distracted. Most of us simply get busy with other stuff and we get distracted. And I want to address that a little bit this morning and I want to address maybe some options for uh, uh, beating that back. But as we do, I want to start by reminding you of some things that we're already true. Sam, this is not... There we go. I want to just talk about where we have been for the last few weeks. I want to start by saying, can you remember that you are so loved? That you have every right to wake up in the morning, look up into the heavens and say, good morning, Lord, it's me, Walt, the one you love. You have every right to do that because God so loved the world. God so loved you. It's inexplicable how much He loved you. The ends to which God would go in order to get you into heaven, the, the ends to which Jesus went just to make it possible for you and I to make a decision to follow Jesus, they're a demonstration of what that word so loved means. There's, there's probably nothing better to demonstrate such a thing. It's that, it's that kind of love that makes you do crazy stuff. That's what God so loved the world means. He so loved you that He was willing to die on a cross to give you the opportunity, just the opportunity to love Him back. Wow. You know, 
It's the ultimate rescue story. It's, it's the stories everybody loves. Disney has been using the same formula over and over and over again, right? You know, Sleeping Beauty's asleep. What has to happen to Sleeping Beauty for her to be awakened? Someone has to so love her that it'll take the risk of kissing her, right? And wow, the miraculous, powerful things that happen as a result. When the, the dragon has to be slain, when, the, when the, the evil has to be conquered, someone has to so love the person who needs rescue that they will do whatever it came, whatever it takes, whatever requirement. Fairy tales are based on it. Jack had to climb a beanstalk. Why? Because he so loved and so wanted his family to be safe, so wanted to rescue his family, he was willing to do anything, including facing giants to do it. We love these stories. You know why? we love them? Because deep down in our heart, we know that's the position, the right position for who we are, that we are so loved. We are people who are so, so loved. God so loved the world that he came to the planet and died, that he was willing to do whatever it took to rescue us. That's where we started in this discussion. We are so loved. And if you can start there, if you can accept that, if you can be in that place, a lot of transformational, amazing things can happen in your life. A lot of amazing things. Once you know you are so loved. And then we talked about the fact that once a person knows they are loved, we love back. Now it's safe to love back. You know, it's that, it's that moment when you were a kid and you were, you were dating that girl or that boy that you liked and you, you had both confessed that, right? You had both confessed the, the small L word. You had both confessed, oh, yeah, I, I, I like you. And the other person says, well, I like you too, right? And you've gotten that out. It's, it's out in the public arena now. It, today it would have to be posted on Facebook. She said she likes me and I said I liked her back. Right? It, it, I don't know why, but everything has to be posted on Facebook for it to be real now. And so, so that liking is out there. And now the big L word is hanging in the distance, waiting to be approached. You know what I mean? Man, I cannot tell you how hard this was with Brenda. I've got a decade worth of likes. Took a long time to get the big capital L love word out there. Took a long time. Lots of work. Deep focus. You know how hard that is for me. Remember, imagine me being focused for a decade. The best decade ever, right? But it's hanging there and you're waiting for that word, right? And you, you don't know if you should be the first one to broach it. You know what I mean? You're, you're not sure it's safe to say the big L word first. Y'all know what I'm saying. I can see it in your face. You've been there. You've done this. Or you've had this happen to you. You've got that, that moment when you're like, oh, man, what do I say? I don't, if this comes out of my mouth, there's no taking it back. And so you, 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 you get to that point, And there are probably most of us have had that fitful start where we go, I like you a lot. Right? Because we, we're so risky to say that next word. It's so risky to let that out there, to put your beating heart out there and hand it to another person. What if they don't like it? What if they don't want it? What if they step on it? And then you just get up the courage one day. You feel like the person can be trusted. You've been around them long enough. You feel like, oh, I, I think that I can trust her with my heart. And so you put the word out there. 
You know, if you're like me, you've heard I don't like you like that, 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 I don't like you like that. For 10 years you've heard that. And then finally it just became, I like you. Now we know that, like that thing has gone away. So what does that mean? Well, it means now maybe I can take this next risk. And you can say, I love you. And then you hang in the balance, in the silence that's just coming over you, like an oppressive cloud waiting for something to happen. And just before you melt into the ground with shame and embarrassment, the person says, I love you too. And you're like, man, I almost died right there. Because love is a huge statement of risk, isn't it? To put that word out there, to say that is a huge risk. Here's Jesus. He's saying, I want you to see how much I love you. I so love you. I'm willing to go to the cross so that you can have the opportunity to love me back. He put it out there. He put it out there with with boldness and strength. He said, I love you, and that's declared, and I don't care what anybody thinks about it. He stood up on a hill, and he proclaimed it to the watching universe. I love you. And then you and I have the opportunity. We're, we're the ones hanging there waiting for the answer. He's been listening and waiting and anticipating the answer for every single human being in the entire history of mankind, for every single one of us. And that's where I was at last week. That's what I was trying to tell you. Look, look, we are signing this contract. We are sliding this baby across the table. His signature's on it. Sign it. Declare it. Admit it. He loves you so much. Put your name on the paper. He loves you so much. Come on. Come, follow me and see where it leads. It'll be cool. It'll be amazing. You've never been in a love like this. And he placed it out there in front of us and he said, because I love you, you can love me back. Because I've taken all the risk. I've gone first and I've stated it loud and proud. Come on, come back. And he's called all of us to step into that love and embrace that discipleship because to to love Jesus is to follow him. You remember, that's what kept happening to the disciples. This moment when John says, hey, there goes the Lamb of God. And two of his disciples abandoned him on the spot, which kind of might be a little bit uncomfortable. If you're John, if you're thought about from John's perspective, he says, hey, there goes the Lamb of God. And they go like, see ya. And they're off following Jesus. And, they, and the, remember what they, they, they're following Jesus. And I, I, I imagine they're kind of at a distance, but they're clearly following. He knows they're following. And he turns and he says, what are you guys looking for? What do you seek? They don't know. They just, they're just following. They're, they're so new in what this means. They don't know how to respond. They say, uh, well, uh, where are you staying? Jesus' answer is the answer he gives you and me every single day. You roll out of bed, your feet hit the floor, and Jesus says to them, come and see. Come and see. And the Bible simply says they went, they spent the day with him, and it was so transformational that the next day they went to their friends and said, we have found the Messiah. They didn't go looking for the Messiah. They they, they kind of had an inkling, because John said that's who that is. 
But they didn't know. They just, they, all that they were willing to confess was, we would like to see where you are hanging out. Come and see. And they spent the day. And it was so transformational that they went to their friends and they said, we found the Messiah. And they came and they saw. And it was so transformational that they went to their friend and they said, hey, we think we found the one that Moses was speaking of. And, and they said, well, really? And he said, yeah, come and see. And then they, they, it was so transformational that they, they went to their friend and they said, hey, we, we found the one, we found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. And remember what he said? Oh, yeah, right. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Really? You found him in Nazareth? That's where you found the Messiah? Yeah, come and see. And all of us are in this room because of what they did after they went and they saw. He put it out there. I love you. I love you. I love you. I can't say it any louder. I love you. You are the disciple whom Jesus loved. No question. So, if we are called to discipleship, let's not complicate the problem. Last week I told you that discipleship is not the gathering of knowledge. It's not the gaining of information. It's not the, the it, it's not the, uh, that, that, it's not that transformation of you that makes you a disciple. You know what makes you a disciple? Willingness to get up in the morning and say, wherever you want to go, I'm in. That's it. That's it. Wherever you want to go today, Jesus, I'm in. I don't know what's going to be. I don't know where we're going to, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm in. Because I've discovered that following you is so cool. Following you is so amazing. I, I'm ready to go. Wherever you're going to go today, I'm with you. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is a follower. Somebody who is walking in the footsteps of another. And in this case, walking in the footsteps of Jesus. That's a discipleship call. And I'm telling you, if you haven't made it, you need to make it before you blink another blink. Come on, man. This is... A, this is the most amazing path you will ever be in. Repentance simply means you were going on this track over here and it was not leading you to anything good. It was not leading you in any way that was going to be a blessing to you. In fact, that track was leading you to ultimate destruction. God simply says repent, which means change direction and become a follower of Jesus. Become somebody who is walking after Jesus. I, 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 cannot, I cannot call hard enough and loudly enough to you to say, come on, sign the contract. Agree to the terms. Get out of your indecision and follow Jesus. It'll be amazing. It'll be self-sacrificial. It'll be transformational. It'll be so cool. Come on. See where he leads. We have had the, the, the joy of seeing three people state that to you publicly in the last two weeks who said, look, I want you all to know that I am in. I'm signing on the dotted line. I'm making my contract sure. I am going to follow Jesus from today onward. I know some of us have this worry that I'm too broken to join this band. Did you look at the band? Did you look at a gr the, the original 12? Would you have picked them? No. We would have been on the, on the elementary school kindergarten track, you know, or fifth grade picking kids. And those 12 would have been way down at the end of the line. 
Peter and Andrew, they're kind of hot-tempered and problem. James and John, they're like a gang. Judas, he's like way too zealous. You start going down the list, would you have picked those guys? None of us would have picked them. Jesus uses broken people. You know why? It's all he has. Right? The Bible's full of the record. Noah rescued from the flood that destroyed the world. What happens next? Gets drunk. Ends up without his clothes. Boy, you don't want to see that family album, do you? Hey, Dad, remember that time? Oh, no, 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 don't bring that up. Over and over again, the Scripture keeps showing us, this is the kind of people that follow Jesus, and they're all broken and messed up just like you. And we kind of get a highlight reel of some of the worst, and we get to see a highlight reel of the transformational authority and power of God in those situations. Noah didn't get on the ark because Noah was awesome. Noah got on the ark because he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Disciple David. Have you ever considered that all the Old Testament people are disciples? Start. They are. Because what did they do? They woke up and they said, wherever you lead, God, I'm going. I don't know where it is. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm following. They got up in the morning and they said, I'm in. I'm in. I'm going to follow. Disciple David. I want to talk about full frontal attacks on your discipleship. Okay? There are times when the devil comes at you full bore. Double barrel shotgun right in your face sort of attacks. Full frontal attacks. David has killed Goliath. And David, in his, in his statement, before he kills the guy, you can see the faith that he's standing on. He walks out in front of Goliath and he says to him, Hey, you're a big dude. You're kind of a big scary dude. And you come to me with a sword, a shield, a javelin, a helmet. Look at you. You're all dressed up so that I can't hurt you. I'm a little get, little tiny guy and you're this big guy. Look, you're, in a, you're in armor. Yeah, you're brave. Didn't exactly get to that part. That was my part. I come to you in the name of the living God. Slingshot, bip, out, head off, David wins. It's a quick summary of the story. (laughs) He's just come back from that. He's come back from victorious life in the field over the Philistines. And as he comes into town, remember the story, he comes into town and the ladies are singing and they say, they say, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. And it makes Saul nuts. And he feels threatened and he feels afraid. And we find David then in his house singing to him. David apparently played a harp and sang and it helped the king. It calmed him down. Music has been doing that for people for centuries. It did it for Saul in his house as he was there that day. Saul was being soothed. That's what was done when, when Saul got out of hand. When Saul started going on Crazyville, they would call in David and he was playing and sing for him to calm him down. So David is playing music. But there was a spear in Saul's hand. Beware of crazy people with spears. I'm telling you right now. The spear in his hand, and Saul cast the spear. For he said, I will pin David to the wall. He was about to make a wall hanging out of his musician. Across the room, the spear goes. And David escaped the spear and his presence, catch the last word, 
twice. Do you go back for a second offering of that? Apparently David did. It was his job. He felt that this was what his responsibility was. And he escaped a spear, full frontal attack. David is simply waking up in the morning and saying, Hey God, wherever you lead today, I'm good. I'm going to take my harp in and play for crazy Saul because that's what you want me to do. You've gifted me in this way. I have skills. I have talents in this way. And he's blessed by it. So I'm going to go use my skills, use my talents. Where you put me today, I'm in. I'm in wherever you do. And so David's playing his harp. And he's going, blessed assurance. This is the song that helps you not be crazy. And foo, whoa, twice. Full frontal attack on his discipleship. God, what do you say to God when you walk out of the room? Hey, that wasn't cool, God. What? I just woke up this morning and said, wherever you want to go, I'm in. Let's go. And then he, he did you see what he did? Could you have stopped that? Could you help me out a little bit? Right? Isn't that what happens? When, you're, when your discipleship feels like God isn't as trustworthy as you thought he was yesterday? Right? Full frontal attack on your discipleship makes you question the love of God. Right? Right? Think... Thank, thank, thank God. David hangs in through this experience. But I want to give you another guy. Disciple Joseph. I want to talk about disciples in isolation. Disciples in isolation don't do well. Disciples in isolation are like plants without water. They begin to wither. They begin to struggle. The roots that have built them begin to, begin to dry up. They begin to falter. And they will fail if left in isolation long enough. Disciple in isolation. Remember the story. Israel loved Joseph more than all the other children. So his father loved him. Is that his fault? Not his fault. That's his father's sin affecting his life. Right? Right? Do, do other people's bad ideas sometimes mess with you? That's what happened to this guy. His father's sinful approach, his father's approach to him being the favorite, costs him. And he becomes isolated from his brothers. In fact, his brothers hate him. The scripture says... Joseph then had a dream and he told his brothers and they what? Hated him even more. They hated him because his father was, made him his favorite. His father made him a special coat. It was like, Dad, you're messing life up for me. I was in the third grade, Mrs. Sod's class. Mrs. Sod had an interesting way of taking care of children. I've told you about her before. She used to throw stuff at us. She would be working on the chalkboard and... Since birth, my mouth has been moving. I'm sure I woke up when I rolled out of the hospital bed and said, Hey, Doc, how's it going? <laughs> She's standing at the chalkboard. And I, re- she, I remember these things like they were just burned in my mind. Standing at the chalkboard, writing. And you're in the back of the room, which is where she put me. It's her fault I was back there. I'm in the back of the room by the door on the other side of the classroom. And I start talking to Bruce And she turns. She's on that end of the room. She's about this far away from me as a wall over there. She turns, hucks a piece of chalk just as I look up. And that piece of chalk comes flying right at my head. I duck, hits Bruce. (laughs) I was talking. But that was a problem from her, not me. Right? It was her 
action. So I, I get home, I tell my mom, hey, you know what happened in school today? Can you imagine going home and tell your mom that? You, hey, guess what happened in school today? Yeah, teacher hucked a piece of chocolate at me. I, chocolate at me, I ducked it here, Bruce. What would your mom do? My mom was not happy. She was, in fact, angry. And my mom said, I am calling the school and reporting her right now. And I said, oh, mom, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. It'll be worse. You see, you see, Joseph should have said to his dad, Dad, I love the coat. Hang on to it, okay? Like, like give it to me as a wedding gift or something because this is just going to make the brothers madder at me. Just hang on, Dad. You're, you're causing problems. And I, and I literally, my mom did not call the school because they said, don't do it. It'll just make it worse. And she knew I was right. She knew that teacher had me six hours a day and there was no place for me to go. Joseph is suffering because his dad's bad activities. Now then Joseph, in his isolation, I don't know if this is cause, his isolation is causing a, a brain freeze, just ignorance, what happens next. But Joseph has a dream and he decides to tell his brothers. The trouble with isolation is sometimes you make dumb decisions when you're isolated. Don't you need people around you sometimes to say, bad idea, dude, don't do it. Don't you? You know, right before you jump out of, the sh- out, out of the plane, somebody should be saying to you, bad idea, dude, don't do it. Uh, and I, I, Reagan's not here, so I can say, parachuting is crazy. Reagan's a big parachute fan, so don't want to tell him I said that. Jumping out of perfectly good plane, somebody, some friend of yours should be standing there in the plane saying, bad idea, dude, don't do it. There are lots of times in your life when you need some other person to be standing next to you, not saying, yeah, 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 chug another one. You need somebody who's got the good sense to say, no, 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 bad idea. You got you to be, you got the friend in the car in the front seat who's saying, go faster. You need to have somebody in the back seat saying, go slower. Right? This guy was isolated. He didn't have anybody saying to him, don't tell this dream to your brothers. That's a dumb idea. You're going to make this worse. And he does it anyway. He said, please, hear the dream which I have dreamed. They already hate you. Because of your dad. You really don't need to pile on. Hear the dream that I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field, and then behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and guess what happened after that? And, and then your sheaves stood all around in a circle around my sheaf, and they bowed down. Do not tell your older brother stuff like this. It is not going to go well for you. But isolated disciples have no one to help them. Isolated disciples make bad decisions at times simply for the lack of a person to point out that it's a bad decision. Do you remember the David and Bathsheba incident? Here I am this morning. Good morning, Lord. I'm David, whom you love. I will follow you today wherever you want. And David walks out to the edge of his balcony. He looks down into the village below. He sees a beautiful woman. And his whole life is dramatically altered. The history of Israel 
is dramatically altered. And the suffering that comes out of this decision will wander through his life for the rest of his life. One decision. One day. What happened? Do you remember where he was supposed to be that day? The Bible says it was the spring of the year when kings go out to war. Of all the kings of Israel, David was the king whose skill set and talent had led to the eliminating of the enemies of Israel. And David should have been out leading his armies in the field. But David on this day chose not to take his talents and place them in the hands of God's leadership. He chose to keep his talents at home. This may sound like an unusual sort of place to go, but I think there's 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 a peace here for successful discipleship. There's a peace about understanding how to stay on the rails, how to not get off track. We get distracted by bad things, right? Right? Was Bathsheba a bad thing? Sure she was. He had other wives. He had multiple wives. He didn't need another woman. This was a bad thing. It was clearly the wrong decision. He should have known. In fact, it has always been... It has always been my argument that if he had had a friend like Jonathan standing next to him, this would not have happened. In fact, Jonathan, I have told you before, would have thrown him off the balcony before he let him do this. You need a good friend like that. You need somebody to stand next to you when you're making a bad idea about a bad thing. We are distracted by bad things. Because we are broken, because we are sinful, because our hearts are corrupted, we make bad decisions and we are often distracted from our discipleship by making bad decisions about bad things. Let's just face it. We do that. It's human, it's normal. I would love to see it stop happening. And I think it can. Number two, we're distracted by wrong things. Not that the thing is wrong, it's just the wrong thing. We get distracted by going off in the wrong direction. We, we have skills and abilities and things and we apply them in wrong directions. We go off in the wrong direction. David should have been out in the field that day. Instead, he had kept his talents at home. Instead of using them where God was using him all of his life, he had kept them at home that day. And, it, and being at home and being at peace isn't a bad thing. It was just the wrong thing for David at that time in his life for his, those talents. Just the wrong thing. It was the wrong thing. We're distracted by nothing things. This is one of my favorites. I think we're getting more and more distracted by nothing things. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, PlayStation is a nothing thing. Facebook, a nothing thing. Television, I hate this one. It's a nothing thing. It's one of my favorites. (laughs) Hours and hours and hours reading books that are not contributing to your spiritual strength is a nothing thing. Investing our lives in useless, unproductive activity. That's a nothing thing. We get distracted by nothing things, which is the craziest thing to be distracted by. It's a nothing thing. And when we're doing it, we know it's a nothing thing. When I am sitting on TV, searching through a hundred channels, trying to find something to watch, I know, I say it, there is nothing on. And yet there I am, still coming through, looking for something out of nothing. It's a nothing thing. Number four. 
We are distracted by good, not great things. We're distracted by good things to do that are not the things God has called us to do. We're distracted at times by doing good things, good deeds, good responsibilities that are not the things God has called us to do. We just get caught up in them because they seem like a good thing. And our discipleship gets pushed off track because we're doing this good thing. But it's not the thing that God called his disciples to do that day. You wake up in the morning, you put your feet on the floor, say, God, I will follow you wherever you want to go. And, and you're going along the track and God says, let's go this way. And you say, well, God, this is such a good thing. Over here, it's a good thing I want to do. Come on, we can go that way. It's okay if you want to go that way. I'm going this way, though. And you, just, you, you just get to choose. But you, but you have such a great argument, don't you? When you're doing a good thing, even if, it, if you know it's not the thing. This is a piece that I hope you will get. So if you've been kind of distracted, <laughs> if you haven't been paying attention, if you've lost your focus for a minute, would you catch this next piece? So, so look up, look at the screen. Everybody, I can see if you look. I really can. <laughs> look at the screen. Where your treasure is, look, look at the new, the, the new Living Translation. The desires of your heart will also be. Where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Let me give you a quick example. So you're, you're a skilled mathematician, or you're, you're a skilled business leader. You're, you're a person who has great skill in, in administrating a business. And so you put your full heart into that thing, and you've grown your business, and it's become strong and powerful, and it's, it's bringing you great wealth, and you're just loving it, and you're just into it, and you're just into it, and you're just into it, but you know it is not the place that your heart belongs. You've given your heart to your business and you wonder why your family says, why aren't you home? Why don't you love us anymore? Because where your heart is, or where your treasure is, there your heart also is. So your treasure is not just money. It's your time, it's your talents, it's also your money. Where are you investing your time? Your heart will follow. Where are you investing your talents? Your heart will follow. Where are you investing your money? Your heart will follow. Where your treasure is invested, your heart follows. If it's your business that you really love, that you've been just pushing all of your time and, and your talents into, your heart will follow. You will become a lover of that business. At the distraction from your discipleship, at the distraction from your parenting, at the distraction from your spousal behavior. It's not a bad thing for you to put talent there. It's just a bad thing for you to put so much of your talent there that your heart follows. You get it? Where you're investing your treasures, your heart follows. The things you invest your time in, your heart follows. You have one of those hobbies that just, you're just into it. You're so into it. You, everybody calls you because you're the expert on the subject. You just, you just got it and you're in it and you're doing it all the time. You're thinking about it and you're reading about it. And it, it enters into your dreams at night and you're just into that hobby so deeply, so much. And it doesn't matter what the hobby is. It can be making models, it can be going camping, it can be backpacking, it can be building cars, it can be anything. But you're so into that hobby that you're dreaming about it and you're thinking about it all the time. And the people in your life start to wonder, what in the world? Why is he out in the, out, out in the garage all the time? Why is she always, always backpacking and never home? You're, what is up with that? Because her treasure has led her heart off the path and she's been derailed. 
Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. You want to know how to keep your discipleship on track? You want to know how to keep following Jesus? Keep an eye on where your treasures are being invested. Keep an eye in yourself on where your treasures are being invested. I I want to give a, a warning to parents. Sometimes we do this with our children. Sometimes we become so invested with our children. We, and, it's, and again, it's not a bad thing. It's one of those good things. You, God, I want to invest in my kids. It's a good thing for me to do that, right? And it is a good thing. But we can get so invested with them. We can, we can put all of our talent and our time and our treasure into our children. And our heart strays. This is the weirdest thing. The heart strays to them and away from God. And you wake up in the morning and you're so engaged there that you're no longer looking up into heaven saying, hey, morning God, it's me, the disciple whom you love. Where are we going today? Wherever we go, I will follow. You wake up in the morning and you look on your thing and say, what are my kids doing today? And then the, the, the strangest thing happens. They move out. And your heart goes with them. Right, parents? We, I, I've got kids, they moved out. I get it. Where your treasure is now, it doesn't matter where that investment is being made, but someplace where you're investing your time, your talent, your treasures, where your treasure is, your heart follows. So you want to figure out how this discipleship thing works. You wake up in the morning, you put your feet on the floor, you look up in the heaven and say, it's me, Lord, it's Walt, the one you love. It's awesome. It's so cool. Where are we going? What I got yours today, my time, my talent, my treasures, whatever I got yours, Let's go. That leads to transformational discipleship living. Where you invest your time, your treasure, and your talent. That, that's where your heart follows. You get it? You've probably experienced it. I mean, most of us have. So I need to, I need to wrap up with this piece. Discipleship needs fellowship. Discipleship needs fellowship. Joseph in his isolation, the problem was no fellowship. David went after Jonathan died. The problem is no fellowship. Discipleship needs fellowship. We need people who are stand alongside us kind of people. I've told you before, I have been in one accountability group now for 20 plus years. These, these two guys, one of them moved away. There used to be four of us. Well, these two guys know more about me probably than my wife knows. Everything comes out in that group. Uh, about uh, about uh, six months ago, I started what, I'm, what I've been calling the Young Guns group, Guns group. I didn't actually start it. I was invited into it. In my, in, my, uh, in my calendar, it just says young, gun, young Guns and then the coffee shop where we're going to meet. It's a bunch of young pastors. And we sit down and we do discipleship together and we talk. And I share things that I've learned after 30 years of ministry with them. And that's awesome and that's helpful. But what really happens is we say, how are you doing with your family? How are you doing with ministry? How are you doing with your personal spiritual life? And everybody answers that question. That's the, that's the only agenda for the day. That's what we do every single time. How are you doing with your family? How are you doing with your job? How are you doing with your personal relationship with Jesus? How are those things going? And we just talk through that. usually takes us a couple hours. And we pray for each other about the spots where that's struggling. We need to be in a place where we are discipling and being discipled. We need to be in a place with other people in fellowship who are on that track who can say to you, hey man, you've been investing a lot of your time in that HO train hobby of yours. What's going on with that? You know, you, I, I'll, every time I see you, you bought another train, you've been, you've been investing a lot of your money in that. Is your heart after that? 
Is your heart getting away from you? David says, let the godly strike me. Here's a guy who knows what it means to be isolated spiritually. Let the godly strike me. It will be a kindness. I used to have a group of guys that I met with once a year. You want to talk about a time of intense, intense, intense discipleship. But there were about six or seven of us. We'd get in a car and we'd drive a long way. That was our deal. Families would get together. The guys would go one way. The girls would go another way. I don't know what the girls did. I was never around. But the guys, we'd get in a car and we'd drive off somewhere. We were going to go play golf. We were going to go do something together. But we, on, the tra- on the trip, we always got in one car because you couldn't escape. And the guys would just hammer me. It'd be like, tell me the truth. What's really going on? No, I didn't tell you. No, you didn't. You're lying to us. Because I can tell by what you said here that that's not all the truth. Tell us everything. It was the hardest bunch of accountability guys I've ever been with. A bunch of preachers. And we're riding in the car. And no one's there. And no one can hear you. And nobody knows what's being said. And it got personal. And it was one of the best things I've ever done in my life. One of these poor guys was sitting in the back seat one day. And he told us, oh yeah, I have, I have this problem. Every time I go to a new place, a new church, a new job, I always have jerks for bosses. Ding, 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 ding. It was like a feeding frenzy at the shark tank. Six guys jumped in him with both feet. Don't you think it might be your problem, buddy? Last thing you wanted to hear from us was, look, if the problem is following you around, it isn't their problem. You brought it. You don't have jerks for bosses. You're being a jerk employee. What's going on? And then they just started digging. And it was like blood everywhere. I'll tell you what, though. That guy is still in the ministry today. And people love him. And he hasn't had a jerk boss in about 30 years now. (laughs) We need a friend who is so kind that they will punch us in the mouth if we need it. Let the godly strike me. It will be a kindness. If they correct me, it is soothing medicine. Don't let me refuse it. God, let godly people do whatever it takes to keep me on track with you. God, place place some godly man or some godly woman in my track, in my path, who will call me on my junk. Who will call me out when I'm not laying it out. Somebody who I know loves me and I know loves you who can just call me on it. I'm talking about being a disciple. I am talking about you and I committing to following Jesus like we've never followed him before. Just waking up every morning and say, whatever I got is yours and I'll do whatever you want today. And having people in our lives who will say to us, you are a big, fat, hairy liar when we need to be told. Proverbs chapter 7, or 27. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Do you have a friend like this in your life? Do you have a friend in your life who can tell you the hard truth? If don't, who is your closest friend? Who are you investing your heart with? Are you equally yoked 
Are they committed to Jesus too? If so, ask them to do this for you. Ask them to speak into your life when it's hard. Ask them to speak into your life when you, the things that you don't want to hear. And then, my friends, you have to be courageous enough not to attack them when they do what God has called them to do for you. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of the enemy. Do you have a friend like this? Are you a friend like this? I want you to sign up to be a disciple. I want you to wake up in the morning realizing you are so loved that you can look up into the heaven and honestly say, God, it's me. It's Walt, the one you love. Wherever you want to go today, I'm in. Show me what you want to show me. Do whatever you want to do. Me, I'm here, fully on. Fully on. Whatever got yours today, my time, my talent, my treasure, it's yours, whatever it is, I'm in. Let's go. And then to have somebody in your life who can speak to you when things get hairy. Let's pray. Father, challenge us every morning. Embrace us every morning. Grant us the gift of people in our lives who will speak on your behalf to us. Teach us what it means to follow. Teach us what it means to be yours. Help us to find the people and be the people that know your heart help to bless and guide those who wish to follow it. In Jesus' name.